Now Kerr, looking for the long, oh that's brilliant! And Sam Kerr has surely clinched the title now. World-class players do world-class things. Welcome to another episode of Fran Kirby's Fight Club. It is an end of the year edition, the last Fran Kirby's Fight Club of 2022. Don't worry, we'll be back in 2023, but this is the last edition of 2022. I'm Andre Carlisle, and I am here with Mariam. As always, had a few guests, but now it's just us. We back. Mariam, how are you? I'm so relieved, and I, like I wasn't going to even miss this one. I would have found a way to make it. But I'm really <laughs> relieved. It's it's so crazy how much like you don't even think about it on the pod, but when you've been away for a while, I, I really missed it. I, I didn't have anything to do on my Sunday evenings or anyone to talk to Chelsea about. Um, so I'm really excited to be back, and especially as you say, end of year pod. Like we got a lot to talk about, um, and I'm I'm here, so let's let's do it. Yeah, yeah. But before we do, just wanna just wanna note. I uh, hope all the listeners had happy holidays. Uh, Miriam, how are yours? Oh, really, really good. Um, I went uh, to my partner's parents' house, and we just kind of had a lot of fun. We had a pancake morning on Christmas morning. Um, we spent a bunch of time watching films, playing Monopoly. I've never played Monopoly before, um, <laughs> so I was introduced to that. I know it sounds it sounds strange. Uh, we weren't very very much a board game playing house growing up, but so just just lots of fun, uh, lots of new things, and and family, which is the most important thing. Oh, that that that's I love that. That's <laughs> such a sweet thing to say. Yeah, yeah. Same thing here. Uh, only thing is, in, in the states, there was a major snowstorm in upstate oh, yes. New York, Buffalo, and yeah, got got caught in like the edge of that, and that was no fun. Uh, but oh, survived. Am here uh, alive, which is a, a great thing. So uh, having a good time. So all right. Um, in this episode, we are going to talk about the PSG match. We know it happened a little bit ago, but we didn't have a chance to chat about it. So we're going to talk about that, kind of review it, some key things about that match. We're going to look at first half of the season MVPs. Always a good time to look back and with Chelsea winning instead of losing, uh, <laughs> topping their group instead of not getting out of the group. We've got uh, more pleasant things to talk about than we did last season uh, at this time. And we're going to talk about contract renewals, some transfer talk, New Year resolutions, which is going to be interesting where we go there. Uh, But yeah, I think we should just dive into it. As Mariam said, anything to add or should we just talk about PSG? I think we just got to go straight in. Let's do it. So final match of 2022 is also the final group stage match of the Champions League. Chelsea hosted PSG at Stamford Bridge. That was great. I actually love that, getting into the main stadium. I know we've had mm. conversation about that before, but I think for Champions League matches, especially for ones against big clubs like PSG, like Real Madrid, like whoever's going to be our knockout round opponent, um, our first knockout round opponent, I think it's fun. But Chelsea did the business. 3-0 over PSG. Chelsea performed better than any other team in the group stage, not not just in the group, in the entire Champions League. Uh, Mariam, did you expect this? What was your reaction during the game and after the game? I think I kind of expected it. Um, Emma Hayes in the post-match conference of the first leg, she talked about how she wanted like almost like a, a I think she said Christmas cracker kind of end to the season. She wanted an explosion, a bang, um, a response and reaction. And in a sense, it's 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 kind of strange because we did win against PSG. It was 1-0. Um, it was Millie Bry who proved the difference. But I think there was a sense um, of maybe conserving things. And and it's important to say that we've talked about Chelsea being conservative whilst Emma was away. And now she's back. It feels like we're edging kind of out of that. We're going maybe back into our, our natural way of playing. I'm not going to hold my breath on that because um, we do know that Emma does make one wild change per season. So, um I think that's exactly what she wanted. She won an explosive performance and she got it. She, you know, she brought back uh, Lauren James, Erickson, Aaron, Aaron Cuthbert. They all came back in. Um, and you could see how, how just those changes in midfield had, had opened things up so much, especially Aaron Cuthbert, who I'd like to say I'm going to talk about a lot. Like maybe if maybe if listeners go back and, and count every time I say Cuthbert, you find that you get really annoyed by the end of it. 
But um, having Katha in midfield, she's playing in this whole new position. I think it's just, it opens up our game so much, especially with, with Fran Kirby slowly returning to, to the side and the, the number 10 role that she plays in. So it, it's exactly what Emma asked for. And I'm really glad that we ended the season that way. Yeah, I just think back to last season where we just had a catastrophic, it was away, so it wasn't at home, but going to Wolfsburg and remember that whole fiasco and then out of the group, it was terrible. And there were actually stakes to this game. You know, PSG needed to win, I believe, by two goals in order to top the group, the way the tiebreakers work. They still had an opportunity to top the group, so they needed to come in and score some goals. I think there were quite a few questions from a PSG standpoint about their lineup and their midfield. What they chose to do did not work, and then they did not adjust. Uh, And then, of course, you know, Sam Kerr. We've talked about it a bit, and we always talk about this with Sam Kerr. She will miss chances, and it will happen, and it'll be frustrating. And then all of a sudden, you get a little glimpse of Sam Kerr who says, "Never, never mind about all that. I am actually still Sam Kerr, and I still score a bunch of goals." Still on pace to hit that 20-goal mark. And this was a a left footer from outside the box. When you're struggling to score, most forwards don't have that, like, audacity to say, you know what, I'm just going to bring the ball down and smash up my my weak foot. Okay, Sam Kerr. Okay. Uh, And then Lauren James added two more goals within seven minutes of each other. Um, Some of this was really, really great, exciting, quick play. Some of this was, like, press the ball, you know, press hard, press high get a divert the ball and then all of a sudden ping 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 and the ball is in the back of the net i absolutely love some of this quick ball movement and how you know frank kirby uh sam kerr lauren james you know they're go right and they're all looking for each other in space all just shifting the ball into space until somebody has a clear first time shot when it is flowing like that this team is outrageous so this was this turned into like i was stressed before the game i was like in like it was a party after the game, I was like, this was an amazing performance in the season, in this calendar year on. Yeah, and, and to use a bit of a cliche term, it, it was cutting edge football because everything was flowing and it was smooth. And and really and truly, it was having Cuthbert in midfield and opening up through Fran Kirby. I think it really helped Sam Kerr when, when she knows she has a connection, you know, ball to feet and she can really move with the ball and, and push forward and although her goal as you say it was really explosive it was absolutely amazing by the way um just having a bit more possessive element to our football I think really helped and as you say it was it was a perfect end and now we've got to look forward to actually being you know being able to progress past this stage which we didn't get to do last season and I, I think it's um it's Roma Leon Bayern Munich I want to say um possibly so that's really exciting as well because you know we we struggled against teams like that last season as you were saying in that run to the final there were all the warning signs of of the things that were going wrong for us and I just we hadn't had we haven't had a chance to see the rectifications of that because we just weren't in it last year so this will be the first time we're in you know the business end of the competition and we've got to see how how we responded to what happened two years ago. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Um, We know that we grew the squad. Uh, We know that Emma Hayes, despite us being very nervous about it, has stuck with, you know, the rotation, making sure she tries to keep the squad fresh, manage injuries, manage, you know, the fitness of players throughout all the matches, all the travel with the Champions League group stages. I kind of have this conversation sometimes. I saw it was a kind of a conversation around some like women's soccer circles on Twitter talking about, you know, talent hoarding. Uh, from some of the big clubs and it's just like the big clubs that are in the the Champions League uh, their their players play so much I mean now it's and it's different and it's a change you remember the first year they're like mm. okay we have group stage and then Chelsea just was not prepared we had basically a rotation of 13 or 14 and that just wasn't good enough to get it done especially when players go off and play international games pick up little injuries pick up things and they just exacerbate throughout the season so I think it's 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 really about building a big squad. And I think people need to kind of readjust kind of how they look at some things. And yeah, there are some players who deserve to probably start in some instances, but you know, they're gonna have to wait for their chances, and the chances will come if they're on a team that's being managed well. So yeah, and little diversion, but I think I don't know if you have anything to say about that. But I just saw that conversation happening and I was like, wait a second. Uh we've seen a lot of injuries, we've seen a lot of overuse, we've seen all of a sudden players playing in a lot of international tournaments and domestic like cup league tournaments. And it's like, 
that that's a big change from what was going on just a couple seasons ago. So I think you do need a bigger squad to manage it. No, I think you're absolutely right. Right, I think we have to have these conversations because it it does so much more. Just not for not for just what's happening on in football, but also outside of that, we're talking about supporting women. You know, that's that's what it is at, at the crux of it. And we need to, if we're looking at increasing competition size or or more games, um, you know, and and really increasing the schedule for women's football then we have to almost side by side say that you've got to increase squad size as well it has to happen you know because what is the alternative what are you saying you're saying that we are actively going to put teams through really difficult stretches of of physical fatigue and that's really dangerous so I think you are right in saying that that a a big part of, of competing at the top level has got to come from the squad depth and it's not just about holding players or 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 you know using whatever financial grip you might have to do that, but also understanding that, other, that otherwise the talent and the progression you're looking for just doesn't come. It's kind of like you've got to pick, you know, it's, it's one or the other. And stupidly and unfortunately and annoyingly, people are deciding that they're going to have both and both just doesn't work. Yeah, this could give you a very long podcast. We talk about uh-huh. <laughs> so we're going to move on. Um, I did want to just wrap up the Champions League because the group stages are done. Going to read the winners uh, throughout the groups. Of course, Chelsea top Group A. PSG came second in Group A. Chelsea only allowed one goal all wow. group stage, and that that one goal, by the way, was a pretty unfortunate mistake by Berger, who basically gave the ball straight to Caroline Weir, which is not something you want to do. Uh, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a goal, but it was also one of our own making uh, a really unfortunate error. So when you look at just how solid the team was throughout the tournament, throughout the group stage. I think that's just extra impressive. I mean, two games against PSG and they don't get a single goal. You know, two games against Real Madrid and the go- and the goal that they do get is something you gave to you gave up. Of course, you don't want to give up a goal, but I just think that's fantastic. Uh group B, Wolfsburg, uh our old nemesis there, top group B, Roma, shocking. Yeah. Uh, maybe not shocking given who else was in the group, but Roma, first time in the group stages. And they're advancing to the knockout rounds. That's a good story. Group C, Arsenal topped it. Lyon beat out Juventus. Uh, that was a really unfortunate game. Juventus had a chance to make some, like, to really do something interesting there and just played really a, a dud kind of a game. Uh, but Arsenal and Lyon are out of Group C. And Group D, as expected, poor Benfica, poor Rosengart, uh, Barcelona and Bayern were just way too much to overcome. And, yeah, when you look at the goal differential for Barcelona, Bayern, and then Benfica, Rosengard. I mean, Benfica, negative 13, Rosengard, negative 17. I was a rough group for them, so I feel bad for them. They may have advanced if they were maybe in a group with Wolfsburg and Roma, but um, as it stands, yikes, 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 yikes. So let's move on and talk about Chelsea. Let's get the focus back on Chelsea. First half MVPs. We have had a very good first half, which is funny because that little, the very first Opening match versus Liverpool, that loss was like, okay, what is this season going to be right now? And it's turned into be Chelsea looking extremely good in the league and in uh, Champions League. So there's been a lot of performances that have contributed to that. I want to know, Miriam, and and we can't, we cannot give just one first half MVP. <laughs> I'm sorry, we just cannot. That there have been too many good performances. So like I like a top three. I, you know what? I don't even know if I want to put a number on it. I just think oh, we need I to see. shout out players who deserve it. So I'm okay. going to hand it over to you. Who do you want to shout out first? Um, I, I have to start by saying Lauren James, because this is a player who received a lot of grief, not completely from people in the Chelsea sphere, but even people looking on from the outside, you know, commenting on her, her injuries, her lack of involvement. She did come on against Man City in that, in that defeat in the, um, in the Conte Cup. And, and a lot of people didn't really know what was happening with her and her path to, to where she is now. But it's it's just become so transformative. And a lot of that is down to the coaching staff. It's down to Emma Hayes and her management. And I think that having her in the side, it's it's just completely leveled up her attack. And, it's, you know, she's completely seamless when she's passing and dribbling. It's almost like the defenders aren't there when she's, when she's got the ball. And she's got a very sharp eye in, in passing through to... Um, the players ahead of her and I think that her and, and Sam Kerr are going to be a really deadly combination um, so I have to mention her on all her goal scoring attributes 
And I also have to mention Erin Cuthbert because, as I say, I'm going to mention her a lot in this um, podcast. We talked off air about an article on 90 Mins and it talks about actually Erin um, missing out on the Euros because of, of, of Scotland not qualifying. But what she was doing in that period is actually figuring out where she would play and, and figuring out this new position. You know, she had been playing in a, in a pretty deep midfield role, but it's really developed since she's kind of been given a bit more freedom to occupy that hole slightly in front of midfield. And and, and another player, uh, Sophie Ingle, who's recently um, renewed her contract with Chelsea, has been, again, like almost transformative in that role. We we had questions about Sophie Ingle and her ability to, to be in that holding position, even though we know she's quite competent for Wales um, defensively. But this was a completely different role. And I think Melanie Lupoltz being there for such a long time had really affected the way that Ingalls would play when she did come on when it was a rotation. I think giving her the time and patience has really allowed her to improve her game, but also really allowed Cuthbert to to embrace the new positioning she's had this season. I think there's a really good quote um, on her here, if I can just find it. And um, she says, you know, last December during the season, I was kind of thrown into central midfield, but I didn't have a lot of time to work on it. This preseason, the year is happening for me. I had a lot of one-on-one time during preseason to actually solidify and nail down the position and get to know the ins and outs. And every time she's playing, you see that in live action. She didn't play in the first leg against PSG. She was there in the second and we won 3-0. And, you know, there were three goals, but she was at the heart of all three. Um I'm really interested to see how that develops and, and also what it means for our own midfield plans because we've talked a lot about getting a number eight and, and you know, creative elements to the midfield. Um, so that's quite interesting. Um, so I mentioned Cuthbert, Ingalls. Um, I think I want to mention Gura Wrighton as well. I mean, she to be honest, she's been doing, she was doing it last season as well and at various points of last season, I would just say, you know, she's just completely transformed her game as well. She's, she came from playing in a bit more of a reserved position in midfield, but she's completely occupied that winger position. And um, the whole crazy stats about her assists, and even in that last game, she had four assists. Um, I think I think actually she had like a bunch of assists and then Erin Cuthbert scored this amazing like uh, goal single-handedly going through defence and it took that goal for Erin um, Cuthbert to then actually break Gura Wrighton's streak. And it's just crazy that as a, a midfield winger who's, who's been prioritised over defence over the years can can flip the switch like that. Um, I could probably mention a lot more players. You know, I mentioned Lauren James too. Um, defensively has been interesting this year because we made quite a few new signings. But I, I, I do have to say Khadija Buchanan has been immense, immense for us. Um, and, you know... With, with the possible idea of not having Magda Eriksson next season, I think we are kind of establishing a routine with our defence, and, and that's been really important. Yeah, I have to co... This is why I said it couldn't just be one yeah, player. I, I have to co-sign on everything that you said. <laughs> I, I want to I specifically talk about Sophie Engel as well, because I do think that, you know, ahead of the season, that's where I was mostly concerned. You know, I was so excited by the rumours about us bringing in the eight, as you mentioned, you know, we may talk about Grace Cairo again, uh, later on in the in this episode, but I was really hoping that would come through, be, mainly because I was like, I don't know how this midfield is going to work if it's just Sophie Engel and Aaron Cuthbert. I remember Sophie Engel being in the midfield before, and there were some games when she was perfectly fine, did well, no problem. But when we came up against bigger teams uh, with more complex midfields, with more uh, mobile midfielders who just could drag her out of position or bypass her because she was given basically the entire kind of like width of midfield to cover uh, and also a a bit deeper because Chelsea were in all-out attack mode more often. It was concerning. It was a genuine concern of mine. And then, of course, we lost Jisoo Yoon over the summer. We lost Drew Spence over the summer. So there wasn't a whole lot of backup like, hey, if Sophie Engel doesn't work out and we don't get another midfielder in here, what are we going Mm -hmm. to do at defensive midfield? And I, I am just delighted that Sophie Engel has played so well. Uh, I just, I think that there have been a couple reasons for this. I think they've shrunk her area in which she needs to, um, in which she gets on the ball. I was looking at the stats and I think, I was just looking at league games for for starting, for starters, but I think out of, oh geez, I think it was 16 uh, league games that she started last season. 
she had four instances in which she had double-digit touches in the defensive third. And that's a little mm-hmm. strange. You're kind of thinking, okay, you think of her as a deeper-lying player, but that wasn't always where she was getting on the ball. In six starts already in the league, she already has four of those games. So I think it's just her staying deeper, um, being, being able to read the play, keep everything in front of her. She's also getting quite a bit of help from... Aaron Cuthbert and her her mobility in midfield, as you mentioned, Aaron Cuthbert's growth in midfield has been incredible. But I also think, you know, this hybrid back three, back four is also helpful as well because certain players can come out, they can shade players, kind of make, they just make things a little bit easier. They're more cohesive, I would say, in terms of how they are. It's not just sitting Sophie Engel in front of the fence and saying, okay, your job is to not let anything get through. Like everybody's working together. And Sophie Engel is also a big part of that. And I also want to give her a shout out for her passing. I know in the past there have been some criticisms of her and how she passes the ball, you know, the safe passing, conservative passing, which, you know, hasn't always been 100% accurate, but there are certain games when you can absolutely see it. And she has been so, so good with the passing this game, uh, this season. I think she has been quick to identify where space is. I think she has been quick to get the ball out of her feet and move it forward into space. She's done a very, very good job in that role. And I'm just like really, really excited and happy for her uh, to see her step up in such a role. Um, You know what? I also think you mentioned a lot of players. Of course, we have to buy. We're contractually obligated to mention (laughs) Fran Kirby, are we not? Like coming in. We have to, yeah. Yeah, that that central role, kind of having Lauren James on the right so Fran Kirby can play centrally, which is kind of what she was doing for England in the Euros as well. She was integral to that as well. And I think that's a very good position for her. I do kind of wonder, like I at sometimes I kind of would like to see them swap, even though the front, the front basically interchange a lot, except for Guru, who basically stays on the left. But yeah, I would I also wonder what it would be like to see Lauren James Central and Fran Kirby on the right. But I think either way you go, the the way that they're looking for each other, the way that they're using the ball, the way they're drifting and providing passing lanes for one another is just really great to watch. And Fran Kirby is just incredible. I also want to shout out Khadijah Buchanan because there were concerns at the beginning of the season. And I remember us on the podcast were like, don't worry. She's very good. She's going to settle in. Everything's going to be fine. And I think that Emma Hayes also helped a bit by putting her on the right side, which is her more natural side um, and her more comfortable side. And I think that has just been incredible. Like that is, that's her best position. That's where she understands things the best is where positioning is, is exceptional. And she's been so good. I have a sneaky one for you, though. Ooh. Are you ready? I'm kind of intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> a sneaky one. And this is this is more so not necessarily for overall performances, but just her as a player uh, and her, okay. the, the, the skill set that she has. Captain Magda Erickson. Ooh, okay. And the, okay. On, the reason I say that, and we have had plenty of conversations about her, um, you know, playing left back at times in this, in this, and that's not her most natural position. Uh, we know that she has struggled a couple times out there, but I'm just think about all the top center backs on big clubs. Which ones can actually give you this type of versatility, where you mm-hmm. can actually say we are going to go and play a back four that's going to become a back three from time to time, and it's going to be fine. Our left sided center back is sometimes going to play left back. And she like she's the key to that whole flexibility. If we don't have her there, we can't play that system. We might be able to flip it on the other side and have Khadija Buchanan do right back and a right sided center back. But when it comes to like how we're running it now, I don't know of too many other defenders that would allow us to do the allow Emma Hayes to do what she's doing with that back line and the giving different solutions that come from having a back three, having a back four without changing personnel. I think that's massive. I really think that's massive. And, and it's really just a shout out to her versatility. Performances at left back, you know, uh, kind of average, you know, me- mediocre. She's not absolutely shutting it down over there, but you kind of give her a little bit of a break. She's effective enough over there for now. We'll see what happens in the, in the uh, second half of the season. But I think that's massive. That's massive. Or am I, am I, I want you to tell me and be honest, am I looking through like, Chelsea blue tinted cobalt blue colored glasses uh, about Magda <laughs> Erickson because I I really do think that like I was trying to think of other center backs that could le- allow us to do this and there there aren't many. I think it's like 
it's really like, you know, as you say, physically and, and positionally, it's really impressive to see her be able to do that. Um, you know, we could talk all day, you know, she's an aging centre back, speed isn't on her side. That's the the risk that we know that we put up. Um it's it's why I think we can kind of maybe if we're gonna play her in that position, maybe look at having a wing back that can support, you know, uh whether it's girl on each and on one side or the other or um I think she definitely needs the support. But I think having strong, really strong foundational defensive centre back experience means you can transform that and transition that into other places. Like we see plenty of players like you know, E. Perisay is one. She plays at right back. She can play other positions. It's not uncommon, but the reason why it's impressive with Magda is because she's spent so much time in one position. You almost feel like it's strange to see her anywhere else, but she's still able to complete the task. Maybe it's not so attractive or aesthetically pleasing, or 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 you know, a clean performance, but she's still doing it. I think you're kind of right you are you are right I just I just feel like as I'm saying this I'm listening to myself for the last couple of weeks where both of us to be honest both of us have kind of you know have have offered some criticism to her but you are right in saying that um I really can't think of anyone else who would be able to do that at her age and and her experience and and where she's been comfortable playing positionally and and as you say how much it helps the rest of the team because a lot of teams will you know, have wholesale formational changes and actually Emma Hayes is very comfortable and trusts, more importantly, trusts Magda to play in that position. Emma is not someone who would just throw somebody in a position unless unless it was dire, like unless you're playing a new right back in the Champions League final. Um that, you know, that's that's obviously something that just happens. But she doesn't make those changes often. So I think we just have to, as they say, trust in the manager, trust Emma, trust the process. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate you validating me because it was it's <laughs> it, it felt a little bit like a stretch, but also I really don't think it is in a certain way like performance based. Yes, I don't think Magda has added like an MVP first half of the season, but I think she's been super important to the system and the structure that we've been playing that has been very effective, especially once we've nailed it and gotten all the components right. Um, so yeah, that that's that's what I was thinking. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, let, let's talk about contract renewals because some of those have happened already. Um, we will say in November, Aaron Cuthbert and Jesse Fleming both announced extensions, which is great. I believe they were two and a half year extensions. So keeping them with the club through 2025. Um, and then most recently who we just talked about and both heaped a lot of praise on Sophie Engel is 31 and signed a two and a half year extension with Chelsea also until 2025 that's kind of amazing but given her performances so so well deserved and I think it's a perfect timing though and and you see how players are rewarded for their inclusion and their involvement but uh, but more importantly you see how much is a reflection of of the trajectory of this team and where we're going we you know we need Sophie it's not just that she's been playing well and therefore she's been handed a new contract but actually Sophie is pivotal to our our style of playing and where we're headed um in the Champions League so if anything it's not you know this isn't just a win for the player actually this is a really exciting insight of, of what exactly Emma Hay plans to do with Chelsea yes I agree I was really happy to see I was not expecting a contract extension for Engel. Um, I thought, you know, as, as good as her performances were, um, we will we would see how that would play out the rest of the season. But I, I think it's great. I, I don't know if it was, was always in the works throughout the season or if this was something where the performances really warranted and somebody said, hey, we got to reward her because she has absolutely been balling. Uh, and if it was the latter, I 100% agree. I think it's really, really good and important to do that, especially for a player like Sophie Engel, you know, been with the club for a while, into her 30s. And I think it's really cool for other teammates, other players to see that this is this can happen as well mm. um, because her performances have warranted it. However, on the other end, there are quite a few interesting names whose contracts expire at the yep. end of the 2022-2023 season. I have a little list here and I'm going to read them to you. Um... Desira Musevic, backup keeper. Uh, Emily Osman, uh, who is a keeper as well, doesn't really get into the game much, but there is an option to extend for another 12 months, so that's not as pressing. However, what is pressing is Magdalena Erickson, Mara Mielda, Melanie Leupold, 
and Pernilla Harder are all set to expire at the end of this season. Fran Kirby is on the list, but she also has one of those options and you just cannot see Chelsea or Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes might just like, she just might like pick up Cobham and fling it into the ocean if they end up letting Fran Kirby walk. Uh, so that I don't believe is going to happen. But some pretty massive names on that list that do not have extensions yet and also haven't heard any rumors about it either. Yeah, I think the thing with the Sophie Ingle one, maybe even going further back, as you mentioned in November, is that you see a reason why these players might be convinced, those players might have been convinced to, to renew their contracts. Sophie Ingle has clearly been in exceptional form. She's clearly very involved in Emma Hayes' plans for Chelsea this season. Um, the same you could say for um, Jesse Fleming, who's slowly across the last couple of seasons has, has had more involvement. Um, but you, some of these names on the list, you kind of think... How would you convince this person to stay? And not so much that Chelsea isn't a place where people might want to stay. It's more so you, how do you convince these people that they, they don't want to get game time, that they're not going to be involved as much? Um, we've talked a bit about Ericsson. She's obviously important to Emma Hayes in a sense of versatility and rotation, but I don't foresee her playing as often as she would like. Um, Marin Mielda has slowly returned from injury and, and Chelsea have made a couple of, of changes to the defence. Uh, Melanie Lopoltz is obviously she's just had a child um, How like that one is kind of more to me that, that it's just sort of a timing thing and we, we should eventually see her return um, and you know it's not so much that she's being left out than that she's actually in an active recovery period but then as you say Penilla Harder and we know Harder really tragically um, is out for a very long spell of time she picked up an injury internationally with Denmark um, and you know, she was playing. She's been playing really well in spells, but then you've got to consider how how Emma Hayes is planning to set up her front three. Um, you know, if she's got Fran Kirby playing in, in a more sort of wing position, or if Lauren James moves across and is occupying that space, where does Harder fit in? So, for me, the concern I feel is more that, and and it's kind of the concern I felt a couple of seasons ago, actually, which is pretty full circle when they actually came in when you know when when her, when Harder and and Kerr came in and I was thinking about Beth England is you can't fit all of them here somebody has to be left out and then you've got to make that tough decision um so which one of these players will go go off on a free contract um look elsewhere be signed up uh, because there's a lot of interesting activity happening at other clubs Arsenal United City so uh, we probably wouldn't want to sell to them but we have um you know Hannah Blundell uh, Maria Torres Dotter a couple of players we have sent to, to our rivals so Ah, I don't know. It's it's kind of a bit stressful. It is quite stressful, especially when I think about the Magda and Pernilla aspect of it. I mean, I I I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like thinking about them playing for another team. That that mm-hmm. that kind of bothers, especially another team in the WSL. I could, if they're if they're going to leave, please leave the WSL altogether because I don't know. Like it already feels bad enough when we have to play Drew Spence. Like I don't like doing that. <laughs> Uh, so it's frustrating, and I, I feel really bad for Pernilla because if this, if if, and this is a big if, we don't know if they are working on contract extensions behind the scenes. But I, I just, I will feel sad if we never get to see the real like Pernilla Harder at Chelsea. It seems like every single time she has a little bit of a run. I mean, she was killing it at the beginning of the season. She was. She was playing so well, getting you know, scoring goals, dropping assists. She was so active. Her pressing was good. Like she was playing so well and then she picks up another injury and it's just so frustrating to see. She's never really had a chance to show for an extended period like who she like her full the full complement of her game. And that's just been so disappointing. And it would be it, it would just feel like such a letdown. I'd be really sad if that if this was kind of like the close to the Chelsea chapter of her career. And I'm hoping that it's not. Um, same thing with Magda. I mean, we we I just talked about her being a being an MVP of the of the first half of the season because of what she allows us to do, and it would be really sad. I mean, she is the captain. She is kind of like the heartbeat of the team, and she she has that energy that's so needed, the presence that's so needed within the team. So I don't really know. Um, Melanie Loopholes, I also feel a little sad about too because we had her. She played. She had some up and down performances, and then it looked like she got really settled into the team, was playing well. Then the the kind of COVID thing happened and she was out for a while. And then she was like, oh, while I'm out, I decided to have a baby. And so then we haven't really seen her since. And I am expecting to see her at some point in the second half of the season. But 
It would also be sad if she was gone uh, from Chelsea as well, because I think she's been a very, very good player and had a very, and, and really does have a role within this midfield um, because she does do things a little differently than how Sophie Ingle and Aaron Cuthbert do them as well. So yeah, this is, this is going to be an interesting summer. I know the World Cup is a summer as well. So this is going to be very, very interesting time for Chelsea, but also just women's football overall. Yeah, and it's interesting you you mentioned Lopoltz. I'm I'm just thinking we've obviously signed Yelena Kankovic, and her role is kind of similar to that. And and again, it's just another position where there's a lot of depth for Chelsea. It's kind of the, like you know you get both ends of the stick. It's it's really amazing that our roster is so deep at the moment. It means we can afford to to really stretch the squad across competitions. But at the same time, you are thinking about you know how to rotate players and which players fit in a team and that. At some point, you know, you assign certain players the role of reserves the same way Beth England was kind of given that. Um, and that's difficult to see. And at some point, just like Beth England, they will, I shouldn't be saying this, this is an awfully tragic thing to say, but they will, you know, they will find other teams to play for. Um, I don't know if I sh- if I wrongly signified the beginning of our talking of, of Beth England. It's obviously a sensitive topic for us at the moment. Um <sighs> But unfortunately, that's that's the situation here. But or we can I mean, we we can speculate. I get the feeling that things always kind of work out in the end, and that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. So you did transition us quite did. well. Unfortunately, the the biggest news that we have seen so far from Chelsea, and I'll say so far, has been bad <laughs> because it has been an outgoing transfer instead of an incoming transfer. News dropped at Bethany England. Bethany England is going to Spurs, potentially. Yeah. With a record fee, by the way, of 250K, which I think is very interesting. I think it kind of is uh, reveals a little bit about the growing market. Like, this is a new market. Remember that Pernilla Harder smashed a record, and 250 is not far away from what Pernilla Harder had, so you kind of can see in this transfer if it goes through and that is the price how the market is growing um but apart from like that kind of stuff it's just really sad i and i and i get it like we have said on this podcast before like we don't really understand why bethany england is hanging around because sam kerr is clearly going to start uh as many games as she can especially because sam kerr does not like taking games off by the way so she will like fly all the way to australia fly back and then two days later she's like no I want to start and it's like okay well you're Sam Kerr you're feeling (laughs) fine I guess we got to start you Um, and there were times when Emma would say no we're going to put Bethany England up there but just doesn't get the time on on the pitch that she needs at this point in her career but that has been true for a number of seasons and I could have seen her leaving you know that the season after like when Sam Kerr comes and she Bethany England was Chelsea's top scorer the season before it was a COVID shortened season and she was excellent. I think she almost had like a goal per game um, record uh, of goals. She scored all kinds of goals, headers, long range shots, right, left foot. And Bethany England is an absolute star of a striker. I think she is great. But, you know, she's just not as good as Sam Kerr, which is fine because not many players are. <laughs> so, like, you, you get that and then you're thinking, okay, at this point, I had kind of allowed myself to calm down every single transfer window like okay it's not going to happen apparently there's something about Chelsea that Bethany England just loves and she's just going to stay here and be the backup striker not play as many minutes as she should and and we'll see and then I saw the tweet on my timeline when I woke up and I was like oh now yeah it's frustrating and spurs of all places it's it's hard man you saw it on your timeline I got the email directly into my inbox from Sky Sports and I thought in that moment, I was actually thinking of um, our friends over at the N17 um, Spurs One podcast because they've been calling for it for months, and I've just been like, we've just <laughs> been like trying to ignore them and brush it under the carpet, and and <laughs> and it finally happened. And of course, we're happy for them and happy for where Spurs are going. But they can they can be good without Beth England. You know, it's not necessary to take her from us. It's it's tough. But at the same time, I feel like you know you get to a point in your career where you think. I, 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 you know, consider your own talent, your own goals. That, as you say, even before Sam Kerr was here, Beth England was our top scorer. She was England's top scorer, and then you think it's just stagnated since, and nothing has happened. Nothing has happened for her. Everything has happened for her with Chelsea, and I think 
you can't kind of like ignore the fact that every player feels at some point that they have to try to get to that back you know they've got to go back to that stage again um and fortunately Spurs are really in a bit of a bit of a rebuild stage they've changed managers you know Rahane Skinner is doing a wonderful job um as as the girls over on, on the the N17 podcast were talking about they do seem to be in a really good position with the plans moving forward and that involves Beth England and that involves regular football and it involves you know a big playing a big role within the team and the squad. I think that's just what what she needs right now. And as sad as we can be about her going, we kind of have to be happy as well because I think she's really going to flourish there. Yeah, I think I, I do. I do completely agree. I think as much as it hurts me, because y'all know how much I like Bethany England. Like I, I do feel like there is a there is an alternate reality. There is an alternate timeline where this Chelsea team exists exactly as it is and it's flying exactly as it is, but with Bethany England up front instead of Sam Kerr. Maybe not Bethany England's maybe not scoring consistently 20 goals every season, but there are plenty of goals to go around in the way that Chelsea is loaded in attack. But yeah, I I, I agree. I think on like my personal level, um, I really enjoyed her playing for Chelsea, she scored some incredible goals. I mean, the goals at Arsenal, the, the match, some match winners that won us some, some trophies. She has scored some great goals, long distance goals against Manchester city, um, a long distance goal against Spurs <laughs> playing at Stanford bridge. As we talked to the N17 women about was they would choose to forget, which I, and I don't blame them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think she has been so good, but you're all right. On a personal level, she turns, she's 28. She turns 29 in June. And I just think that if she's ever going to have a chance to become like a starting striker uh, for a team, I think she needed to make the move now. Um, Otherwise, she was just going to end up being a backup. I also think for Spurs, it's got to be exciting. Um, They they needed to show ambition. This has kind of always been the thing with Spurs. They get better, they get to a level, and then they never seem to want to push themselves over that level. And given the price tag on this, if it is correct or in the ballpark of correct, this would be ambition from Spurs. So I think that is smart. The money was always going to have to be a lot if you're going to get Chelsea to agree to a transfer to Spurs. But I also think it's a benefit to Bethany England to keep her in London. Um, she clearly loves London, likes to be here. So even though she's changing, you know, trading West London for North, I think it is important for her to, to be able to stay uh, in the city because it is important. So on a personal level, I do also think that it is good for Bethany England, but I can still be upset about it. And well, I, I just, I am going to be. <laughs> I guess like the good thing is that at least like, you know, she picked Spurs, Spurs picked her. It could have been worse. You know, it could have been the other unmentionable North London club. It could have been one of the Manchester clubs. Absolutely. Um, I'm sure she wouldn't have done that to us, you know, gone, gone to a, a club where she can actually be devastating and impact our title plans. But Spurs seems a good fit for her. I think that's 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 a key thing here. And, and yeah, they, they splashed a lot of money on this. So I hope that wasn't all of it because I think they need more players. And I think that <laughs> any any Spurs fans listening probably have a list of things that they want to be done at the club. So if this is like a sign of the fact that the club's willing to spend money, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So the question now becomes, we basically don't have a backup striker anymore. Um, Mm. so the question kind of, I mean, we have some players who can maybe fill in the role if they need to, especially against teams that maybe where, where you would give Sam Kerr a rest. So we're not going to give Sam Kerr a rest against a team that's like, you know, top half of the table or even like, obviously not in the champions league, but like, you know, we do have players who could possibly fill in up there, but I guess I'll pose it to you, Miriam. Do we need to bring up a backup striker? And if we do, do you have anyone in mind? Um, I don't think we're in a position where it's urgent. You know, I don't think we're lacking in goals or creative chances. I think that this Chelsea team is set up very much to function without a striker, you know, um, playing with an interchangeable front six. Um, and like we saw in that, sec- in that second leg against PSG, I think it can actually help us be a little bit less direct and more connected with the players around us. You see more... Um, more possessive football, quick football, sharp counters. Um, I don't feel like we're in a position where I'm kind of like scared or anxious about the lack of options at the moment, because as you say, although, you know, it's not great that we have, that we might have players playing in different positions. I think I trust this Chelsea squad to be able to um, be sort of versatile in that sense. Um, In terms of whether I think we need to sign anyone else, um, 
I think you kind of have to look, you look at certain players and you think, you look at their, their track record in terms of fitness and you know that Sam Kerr's kind of, you know, she's been pretty strong in that sense. She hasn't ever really been out for a long spell. Um, Fran Kirby is the player you think of that has been, but even in her absence, we've seen Aaron Cuthbert step up and take that role. Then you start looking at maybe Penilla Harder not being there, but Lauren James is here. And that's the thing, Chelsea are always growing and evolving in a sense. So it doesn't feel urgent to me at the moment, but I wouldn't say no to like Chelsea maybe finding someone more attacking. I wouldn't say no, and this isn't like a, a striker thing, but I would really like Grace. We've been we've been talking about Grace for months and the deal was all set and ready to be done and then whatever black magic intervened, it just didn't go down well. Um I think that's like we had to look at midfield being the more important role. That's where I feel like I have some concerns. And you might think that doesn't make sense because we we have depth in midfield as well. But I think compare the players in the squad work who can be able to maybe fill in that attacking role to players in the squad to um, able to fill in midfield, there's definitely a discrepancy. So my worry isn't so much the striker role, but like I said, if we sign someone, I'm not gonna, you know, be fighting about it or, you know, going crazy on the timeline. So my reaction to that is why not both? Both. <laughs> of Let's do it. Let's go for Grace Gayoro. Let's get another striker. And you know what? I do think that this is important to 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 kind of look at the profile of what you want. One, I think you want a young striker behind Sam Kerr. I think if you, I, I've seen some people and, I, and I've listened to some other podcasts where they kind of mention some forwards who kind of already have some, you know, Champions League experience um, and maybe, you know, they can be a serviceable backup and, you know, they, they come in, maybe they're 25 or older and that's kind of what you're looking at. And I, I don't know. I kind of think that if you have an opportunity to get a younger player, somebody in who there's who's going to be really hungry, who's really going to not only push like themselves for playing time, push Sam Kerr a little bit. I also think Sam Kerr is not going to be at Chelsea forever. Um, I was actually surprised when she signed the contract extension. So we do have her for, I believe, the rest of this season and next, which is great. But I do think Sam Kerr, it would not surprise me if she doesn't sign another extension and ends up going somewhere else. So I do think that you do want to have somebody young who can kind of grow and step into that role, who's very hungry. And what I'm basically building up the case for is I have heard rumors that a young American striker named Michelle Cooper, who last played at Duke University, is going to make a move possibly to Europe. Interesting. And I would absolutely love Chelsea to steal that. I don't know how much Chelsea scouts uh, the college system in the, in the U.S., but I would absolutely love if Chelsea were involved, were, were going to capture her signing, because I do think she is she she is going to be a terrific player. So I, I think having her sit behind Sam Kerr for, for the rest of this year and, and next year, at least, I think it would be a really, really good move. I've also heard rumors of players like you Sophia Smith. Maybe she wants to test again. Europe. I don't know. Like, I, well, I really don't know. Now, happened. she kind of plays more as a wide player, Hello. but she can play centrally as well. She's done it for the U.S. Women's National Team a bit. So I'm thinking, like, I would like to see a young player, like, in that kind of mold come in uh, and be able to play, uh, take that role. Because I, I do think that they just offer a, a different kind of level of excitement uh, when it comes to that as opposed to as opposed to a player who already is, is a little bit older. So I'll be looking forward to that and trying to see what happens there. And of course, you know, just get Grace Girl. That's it. Finalize that signing. <laughs> I probably won't be able to happen until the summer because she's not going to, probably not going to change when she's already has Champions League. That's why I was really hoping for Real Madrid to like knock PSG out of the Champions League. They weren't able to do that. So I'm thinking that probably leaves Grace. And I don't know if, if, that ever gonna happen but i really hope it still does so yeah you know what while we're here let's just do it let's just go right into it new year's resolutions the new year comes it will be 2023 of course we said halfway through the season we know the champions league is going to start back up but not until like late march we have quite a while before the champions league knockout rounds begin mariam your turn this time what would you like to see be Chelsea's New Year's resolution. It's a tough one. You put me on the spot. I know we had a rundown and everything, but I feel like you've you've been quite sneaky about this. Although I've been sneaky all year, so maybe one <laughs> one episode where the tables are turned isn't so bad. Um, I think what I would like to see is us 
kind of come out of our shell with the games that we're playing conservative football in. Because I think that really takes away from how Chelsea really are at their best, which is a fast attacking, you know, a transitional counter-attacking team. And I think when we are at our best, it's because of those reasons. I think back to, I know it's been more apparent during this season when Emma's been away, but I actually even think back to a couple of seasons ago, we talked about the Champions League, um, you know, what happened kind of in the in the business end of that competition. I think a lot of our problems stemmed from midfield, but it wasn't just, um, you know, a midfield that was easy to break down. It was the inactivity of the midfield, the lack of sharpness, the lack of, of you know, movement in more than just a physical sense, but in trying to picture how we can push forward as a team, where those gaps open. I think some of the best teams, you look at Barcelona, PSG, Lyon, um, and in a sense Bayern Munich this season, that is how they get the best out of the teams. That's how they are able to win at such a competitive and intense level. They are constantly finding ways to, to punish teams and they play an incredibly high physical level. And I think that Chelsea have been doing that, but... I don't know how I feel about us tackling the best teams by being um, sort of more inactive, being a slightly slower team. I think in that sense, what you can do, you can put up a block, like a low block, and you can stop teams from pressing and stop them from finding gaps. But I think that really takes a lot of energy to do, and I don't know if I want us to put our energy into that. So my New Year's resolution is just for us to go back to what we know we're good at. And and. All the changes and, and transfer signings Emma Hayes has made, she talked about, you know, having the perfect profile. This is what it's for. Let us finally do what, you know, we've been dying to do all season. So fingers crossed that they can do that. Um, I do want to mention, though, a name popped in my head as you were talking about who we could possibly bring in. And I thought of the one striker I've seen in the WSL, or striker forward, who kind of actually scared me a little, and it was Bunny Shaw. I know that she's playing for Man City and that she probably won't come to us. And she's probably <laughs> signed that she's gonna sign a new contract. But she is 25. She has scored nine um eight goals and nine matches this season. And also when she played against us, that was like a, a really scary experience for me. <laughs> to see firsthand a, a player who like plays as if we don't have a defense, like there's simply just no defense there. And also who is despite her small age manages to like muscle past the biggest of defenders um the reason why i mentioned her is because she's not like an out and out striker she kind of more fits in in what chelsea are trying to do with sam kerr a little bit which is to include her in the, in the counter and we know she's very good at that i don't think we'll get her but i think that's the type of player i'm looking for and, and in doing so we kind of come away from the need to have a, you know a, a central focus in terms of our attack of course we do that through sam kerr but i think if we want to look for more versatility in our attack and, and as we've been doing in our defense, and maybe that's the way forward. <laughs> England is a big city, but I don't think it's big enough for both Sam Kerr and Bunny Shaw. <laughs> Can you imagine club. though? That would that would simply simply the fathoming that is just yeah, too much. That, yeah, that just no that, that we're allowed yeah. we're allowed to think things that we know aren't true, okay? <laughs> we're allowed to believe and dream and wonder. Don't deprive me of that. I, I I appreciate it actually. Yes, that that will be part of the New Year's resolution. Let us dream. Just let us dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, I and it's and it's probably similar to my New Year's resolution. I mean, one, I do think that, you know, when it comes to the transfer, right, we already talked about it. You know, I do want to see a backup striker and I do want to see um another midfielder. I think it is important um to get those two positions because as much as Sophie Ingalls been playing very well, I do think that we have very important matches coming up. We are going to have cup competition domestic cup cup competition start up, which Chelsea's gonna be a part of as well. Um, then the Champions League comes back in late March. We're going to be in a title race. It looks like, you know, the first match is against first match back January 15th against Arsenal. So that one's going to be massive as well. So I do think that it's going to be very important to get players in quickly so that you can get them training, get them um, embedded into the team. And, and uh, maybe you can start to rely on them throughout some of the cup competitions. And then who knows from there. But yeah, I, I think my biggest one is just going to be Getting prog showing progress in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I think that it's going to be interesting to see who our opponent is. Um, but I want to see Chelsea play the way they manage the games and the, the way that they have in the group stages. Obviously, the, the, the level of competition is going to be different. Um, but I do think Chelsea can do this. Um, I, I know that by the time March rolls around, Pateas could be back for Barcelona. 
Uh, Macario and Majri could also be back for Lyon. There's even a chance. I think I think uh, I just saw, I was trying to look at the timeline, Marie Antoinette Cototo, uh, even though we won't have to play PSG again, uh, given they were in our group. But I, she just hit, she just passed this month, the six month anniversary, anniversary, <laughs> since once Mark, I would say, is not really something to celebrate, but six month mark of her ACL surgery. So who knows, maybe she's ready for some minutes in, in, you know, March, maybe, maybe April or May, depending on how, how long uh, PSG remain in the competition. Um, and if she's on the pitch, things change as well. So, you know, if she was on the pitch for PSG. Don't know if we keep them scoreless through two legs. So, I just want to see my New Year's resolution is for Chelsea to not really be bogged down by all of that, to trust in what they're doing, what they've been doing. I think they have a very good plan. They have shown that even good teams have a difficult time dealing with it and that they can also then themselves create chances. I don't know if we can do something like win the Champions League. That's really going to depend on you know, seeing what can happen with some of the other teams. Barcelona's defense is a little bit shakier than it has been, period, I think across uh, the past couple of seasons. So there's that. Will they fix that? Uh, will Pateas come in and you're going to get back to the same old dominant Barca? But even that same old dominant Barca got beat by Lyon in the Champions League final uh, last season. So I just want to see Chelsea have good performances and not the errors that we're kind of used to in the Champions, uh, in the Champions League, uh, particularly last season. And then, of course, the embarrassing loss in the final. It was great to get to the final, but that loss really hurt. So I want to see Chelsea more composed in the Champions League. That is my New Year's resolution. I've said a lot. We've both said a lot. Mariam, do you have anything to add before we move on to the last bit? Just that I'm really quite excited about where this team is heading, I think. Um, as you say, that first game was a bit of a shock. Um, it's not like we'd not gone through it last season. But um, a couple of things obviously have gone in our favour with Arsenal, having lost Beth Mead and Vivian Medima. It's quite tragic in in the wider picture sense of, of more and more women's football players um, experiencing SEO injuries. Um, but actually, it's it's in the end, you know, it's going to help us push forward and and really get the most out of our campaign. You know, we're looking beyond that, and I think for me, more than the league. And you asked this question a couple of weeks ago. More than the league, I I want the Champions League. Um, I think we worked really hard, and if if it doesn't happen this year, you kind of have to wonder where next. You know, we've made a lot of transfer signings this summer. And all of that has been to rectify those issues because we didn't have any problem winning the league, even coming from behind. So if we can't win the Champions League now, then it's like, you know, what more do we need? Maybe it's just that these players need time to gel. Maybe it's just that you really can't win against teams like Barcelona and, and Lyon. But that's not what I, what I want to believe. You know, I want to believe that we can do it. Um, I believe in Emma and I believe in Chelsea, but I think we just we just got to see what happens. Yeah, I completely agree. So yes, that is going to do it for this episode. I do thank you all for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for listening to this pod. If you've been listening from day one or if this is your first episode, we just really appreciate that you guys have been on this ride with us. Uh, we are going to keep continue to try to bring new voices onto the pod. We've had a few guests recently this first half of the season. Hope you guys have loved them. Uh, we appreciate that. So if there is somebody that you want to hear on the pod, drop us a message. You know, hit us up either on our personal or on the podcast account. Podcast account is at Fran Kirby FC. Um, let us know who you want to hear on the pod and we'll see if we can make it happen. Of course, as you know, rate and review the podcast. We ask kindly. We don't ask every episode, but it is actually really important for podcasts. You know, this this stuff is you know, there are too many podcasts in the world, but, you know, we just here trying to talk about Chelsea women. Uh, there aren't too many of us that do that. So if you could like the pod, uh, rate the pod highly and give us a review, it would really help others who are interested in it. Maybe find us and us, it broaden the reach. And then maybe, maybe, maybe perhaps we can even work on our own personal New Year's resolution for the podcast. That's right. We have a podcast New Year's resolution. We are in season three and we are thinking that, you know what, we've been at this long enough now. Maybe, finally, hopefully, prayerfully, one day, damn it, please, we want to host Frank Kirby for an interview. We haven't done a player interview, and we just think, like, the first one needs to be Frank Kirby. It just must. It just must be Frank Kirby. We want that to happen. Maybe that will happen. We want it to happen in the new year, in 2023. That's what we're going to be targeting. When it happens, 
I'm going to claim it. I'm going to say when it happens, not if. When it happens, y'all will be the first to know because we will lose our minds on our timelines and the podcast account. Uh, but yes, let's put good energy out there and stay tuned. Stay with us for 2023 and uh, see if it happens. <laughs>